But the moral lesson at the end connects them back to God. By their nature, these stories line up with biblical principles. The key word is moral or morality. You can't have it without God. He invented it. An example is the story of the boy who cried wolf. Who can tell me what that story is? And so, what's the moral of this story? Once you're pegged as a liar, no one believes you anymore, even when you're telling the truth. And so, what does the Bible say about lying? Leviticus 19.11. God says, do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another. Psalm 34.13 says, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Proverbs 12.22 says, the Lord detests lying and sorry, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. So anytime you hear the moral of the story, the Bible will have something to say about it. What kind of parables can you think of from your life? When I was a kid, our Saturday mornings were filled with cartoons. Uh, Scooby Doo, the Jetsons, Bugs Bunny. And then the Three Stooges and Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein. Sunday was pretty dry compared to Saturday, but there was one show you could watch. Who can tell me who these two are? Davy and Goliath. This was uh, Davy and his talking dog, Goliath. These shows were a little more laid back than a coyote lighting a match in a room filled with dynamite, but they had a different purpose. They were good stories with a moral at the end that was based in scripture. You can still see them today. They're free on YouTube. So when you hear a parable or something that sounds like it might be a parable, think about what the moral of the story is. And do a Bible search on that topic because that's where the moral came from. Greed, hypocrisy, bitterness, and betrayal. Faith, love, mercy, and justice. The Bible has something to say about all of it. Every aspect of life that a person can experience, and through the Bible, the Holy Spirit has promised to teach us the right way to go. Let us be the people who have ears to hear. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our thoughts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I don't know if you ever noticed this, but um, our sermon series tend to follow a pattern, um, and they also tend to flow from each other. I don't usually plan this ahead of time. It just seems to be how it works out. Um, and so this year we started off the year talking about the temple and how the temple is kind of it was a literal place, but it's also kind of a metaphor for the place where the heavens and the earth overlap. And we talked about how that's really ultimately in Jesus, but also intended to be in us and in our community of faith following Jesus. And then we talked about prayer. And I think we could say that that's the power by which the heavens and the earth overlap. 
So now we're going to talk about parables, and I would say these are the pictures of the heavens and the earth overlapping. Um, also, over the past, so this is my fourth year here, so over the past that many years, um, we tend to have certain focuses throughout the year. The beginning of the year usually starts with something kind of theological and a little bit out there, um, but about God, God's nature, and then we, we usually have a narrative se series sometime in there. We usually have, we look at one of the letters in the New Testament, and there's a focus on Jesus, and there's also a focus on the gospel. Well, in 2020, we focused on the gospel of John through the I am statements of Jesus, and last year, we spent most of the year in the gospel of Matthew. This year, our gospel focus and our narrative focus is going to both be in Luke. So, um, and it's just going to be parables in Luke. A lot of the gospel writers record Jesus' parables, or Matthew, Mark, and Luke record Jesus' parables. And a couple of them Matthew has that aren't in the other gospels, or Luke has that aren't in the other gospels, but Luke has a number of really famous ones that um, it would be good for us to look at. It's kind of interesting that he starts off his gospel, as Mark read for us, saying, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So Luke is an interesting gospel because it's written by somebody who, by Luke, who was not Jewish and also did not follow Jesus around. Um, he wasn't one of the 12 disciples. He wasn't um, one of the close buddies like Mark of the 12 disciples. He was a friend of the Apostle Paul who became a an apostle later. Um, and so he wasn't there. He wasn't one of the eyewitnesses. But during one of Paul's travels in Jerusalem, Luke was with him and went around to all the people who were eyewitnesses to get as accurate an account as possible. The thing that's kind of interesting to me is that he didn't just, Luke was a doctor, so you might imagine that he, even though science in the first century was different than it is now, um, that he would be really interested in facts and figures and that kind of thing, but he, as a doctor, also seems to have had a lot of compassion, and so his gospel is notable because he really focuses on um, oppressed groups or marginalized groups like women and foreigners. He was a foreigner. And um, poor people and sick people. And it's also interesting that he thought it was important to record not just what Jesus did, but stories Jesus told. It's not something that I think we would expect like a journalist or somebody nowadays to do if they were trying to get into what was the, the facts, the eyewitness accounts of somebody. But this is what Luke thought was really important. So why do you think it's important for Luke to include these stories in his account? Okay, but their stories. They're, these stories that Jesus told are actually even fiction. 
Okay, there's a point to each one of them, and Jesus obviously was trying to make a point through them, and so it should be important to us and not just the first hearers. Yeah, why do you think Jesus chose this way to make his point? Okay, it was relatable to the people. Jesus is telling them these really earthy, mundane stories about normal things that they would have recognized. Um, So was it then only relevant to those people? Because we don't live in that time period. Okay, so we're going to talk about that a little bit. We're going to talk about stories. Um, Like I said, I always try to preach a narrative series here, and um, we have talked about this before, but I think it's important for us to kind of revisit every once in a while why stories matter. Um, Because we tend to think, at least in some pockets, I think we think of the word story and not true as being the same thing. And they're not the same thing. Um, A story, you could also use the word narrative, but that just sounds too something. I don't know. (laughs) Um, The Bible is full of stories. 43% of the Bible is stories. Some of these stories in the Bible are things that really happened, and some of them are, like Jesus' parables, things that are fiction, but they make a true point. The whole Bible makes a true point. It just does it in different ways, in different genres. So there's poetry in the Bible, there's some history in the Bible, there's, and the way that people told history in Bible times is different than the way that we tell and record it now. Um, there's, there's fiction in the Bible that makes a true point. Stories, though, are how we relate. If you watched, I sent out a video of the Bi- from the Bible Project um, and the first part was about stories in the Bible, and they said, our brains are actually hardwired to take in information through stories. We are designed this way because we live stories, right? This is how we understand our lives. We think of things, we things happen to us, or we do things, and then we tell people about it, like last week, how I almost burned down the woods between my house and the neighbor's house, and Paul told everybody that story. <laughs> Thanks, Heinz. <Heinz. laughs> um, I would have told it myself, but anyway, um, I actually used to have a blog called That's a Gen Story, because I tend to have things like that happen to me, or do things like that. I might be, I think I have sort of I Love Lucy type tendencies. These ridiculous things happen that shouldn't happen to normal people. Um, And so I organized my life for a while by writing stories like that that really happened in this blog called That's a Gen Story. We think of our lives as stories. We tell, when we talk about ourselves, we're telling stories, not lies, narratives. They have a, a plot. They have a beginning, a middle, and an end. They have characters. Um, I think this is such a part of who we are and who we are in God. I believe God is a storyteller. So one of my classes with the pilgrimage online ministry is called Stepping into the Story. And the idea is we're all living a story. 
God is also telling a story of which God is the character, the main character, but we all have a part. Our stories are all a part of God's story. And so we, in that class, we try to talk about that. Jesus is the Word of God. The Word of God made flesh, and he lived a story, and he told stories. Good stories, God stories, merge the heavens and the earth, the material and the spiritual, regardless of the genre that they are. So um, even if the story is fiction, if it is a true story in the sense that it is telling us something true about God or something true about humans or both, the heavens and the earth are meeting in some way. This is sort of what um, Paul was saying in his message without the basket, um, <laughs> that if you look at another story and it, you discover that it has some kind of moral principle or something, you can actually probably find that in the Bible no matter where the story comes from. Good stories make the message concrete, even when the story is fiction, even when the context is something with which we have little to no experience. So, you know, Ron's saying the parables meant something to the people in Jesus' day because they were about things in Jesus' day. They understood those things. We don't maybe understand those things so well. In some ways, the world of Jesus' day was as different from our world as some of the worlds that Paul and I watched when we were watching Star Trek or something like that. There's, we have not experienced that. But story still puts these big ideas into concrete terms. I'm going to bring this word back because... It is a good word, and we learned it. Cataphatic. <laughs> Stories are cataphatic. They give shape to something that otherwise it would be really hard to understand and grab onto. Um, so Jesus' parables are, like I said, they're fiction. Their context is real life, but the, uh, the thing that he describes didn't really happen. He's using it as an illustration for something. They, whether we have lived in Jesus' context or not, the story itself helps us to connect. Stories are also easier to remember than sermons. I know, it's true. <laughs> um, so somebody tell me a parable from the Bible, any parables? Really quick. Okay, what happens? Good, right, okay, so the prodigal son, son runs away from home with his inheritance. You guys have heard this story before? Right, okay, now somebody tell me um, the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the, right? <laughs> yeah, so my point you would if you heard me say something from the Sermon on the Mount you would probably recognize it but it's harder 
to bring that immediately. And there are some parables in it, too. Actually, the parable of the wise and foolish builders is in there. But um, you would probably find it harder to summarize that than to summarize a parable. In Mark 4, which Mark read part of today, um, there are two reasons cited for why Jesus, two other reasons, for why Jesus told parables. In Mark 4, 33 and 34, which Mark read, it says, With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He didn't say anything to them without using a parable. So parables helped people understand. But they also helped people not understand. In the same chapter, in verses, uh, let's see, 10 to 12, it says, When Jesus was alone, the twelve and others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. What? <laughs> Is that a little disturbing? So, interestingly, I was going to skip this parable because I wasn't even going to talk about an actual parable today. I was just going to give you this intro and then we were going to go home. But um, the parable of the sower is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we talked about it last year. So I was like, we don't need to talk about it this year. We talked about it when we talked about Matthew. Um, in Luke, it is in Luke chapter 8. And I decided we are going to look at it after all, because that parable, probably why it's in all three of those Gospels, is because it actually explains why there are parables. It's probably Jesus' first parable. In all three of those Gospels, that warning that Jesus says, I've that I just read, where he says, I tell these parables so that those people on the outside will see and hear, but they won't ever get it. Um, so that's after all of them. So it really seems like this parable about the parable of the sower really is about the parables. So we're going to check it out. I'm not going to read Jesus' explanation in Luke, but I am going to read the versions from Luke. Um, it starts in verse one, Luke 8, verse 1. He says, While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. So Jesus describes four types of soil. What are they? The pathway. Stones. Thorns. And the good soil. The prepared soil. So, interestingly, in Luke's version, in, the, in Matthew, I think, the way that it's told, Jesus says there's a, the, some of the seeds land on the path and the birds eat it up, so it doesn't have a chance to root. But in Luke, 
it's like a double whammy. It gets trampled on, and then the birds eat it. So this seed is just, the seed is the word of God. Um, it's not getting in there. It's not going to grow apart from an act of God. It's not going to get in there. In the rocks, the way Luke has Jesus describe it, the rocky soil receives the word. But there's too many rocks, not for the soil, for the seed to get a root, but for the soil to retain water. They're missing something. The soil is missing water to cultivate and nurture the seed. In the thorns, the soil receives the word. The soil must be very fertile because there are already all kinds of plants there. They're thorns. They're brambles. They are choking out the new life that's trying to grow up in there. So there's too much in that soil. The rocky soil, there's, they're missing something. And in the thorny soil, there's too much of something for the seed to grow. In the good soil, this soil has been prepared. There is no soil that's just automatically free of rocks and free of weeds and just really healthy soil that stuff's going to grow in. The soil, somebody had to do something to the soil ahead of time. Jesus doesn't tell us that part. <laughs> that's not part of his parable. But you got to know this, and the people who lived in Jesus' time would know this too, right? Somebody prepared that soil, and so that soil receives the seeds, and it can hold the water, and it can, there's room for the seeds to grow, and so they produce a harvest. This parable is a parable about the same seed, the word, landing in places where it will be understood and where it won't be understood. And this is what Jesus says his parables do. Last year when we talked about this parable, we, ta we did talk about how there is hope for all the soils because if somebody prepared the good soil, then the rest of the soils could also be prepared. So it's not like that's totally off the table. The Spirit is the one who prepares us to receive the word and to do something with it. But there is a thread throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, that has to be acknowledged that there is a divide. There are going to be two types of people. There are going to be some people who never do understand the words and never do receive the word, who is Jesus. So Jesus spent a lot of his ministry. Yes, he healed, he did miracles, and he taught, and he preached sermons, but he spent a lot of his ministry telling stories because, in his mind, that was the most effective way of scattering the seed of the word as far and wide as possible so that those who were prepared to receive it would receive it. And those who weren't going to receive it wouldn't receive it. But everybody got to hear it, and everybody had a chance. Stories are for everybody. When I preach, I am very well aware, sometimes I'm not even sure what I'm talking about, 
and <laughs> maybe not everybody here understands what I'm talking about. There's different communication styles. But stories, that's just how it's going to be. It doesn't matter what church you go to. It'll be like that. Um, but stories are for everybody. You don't need to have any special education to understand a story because we all live stories. Stories are us. You don't have to even have the same experience or live in the same time or the same place as the story. You just need to be human. We're human. We need to be willing to sit with Jesus and his stories until, like he did with his disciples, he explains it to you and the Spirit cultivates your heart. I think, especially after last Sunday, you guys, was awesome. I think this congregation is prepared soil. I think we have been watching the rocks getting chucked out and the, I don't know what they are, but I just feel like there's a lot of freedom weeds getting pulled and um, good, God is doing good things here. The Holy Spirit is here and working. And so I'm confident that together we can explore these parables listen to Jesus' stories, receive the seeds of these words so that our lives can bear fruit by his spirit and in his name, and we'll see a harvest. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that um, we will persist. We thank you for the work that you're doing by your Holy Spirit to prepare our hearts our ears, our minds, um, all of our understanding and our lives to live the truth of your word. And we ask that we will also continue to follow you, to be um, stubborn and keep asking you, what, is, what do these things mean? What do they mean for us? What do you want us to do? How do you want us to be? We want to look like Jesus, and we want the world around us to see you when they see us. We ask for this, for your glory and our good, in Jesus' name.